It's time for episode 142 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 22nd, 2016, and brought to you by IT Pro TV and Ministry of Supply. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where it's summertime and the living is easy. I am Jason Snell, your co-host, and across the internet for me, my co-host, as always, Mr. Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. Uh, I was going to do the rest of the song, but I forgot the next line. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I stopped where I did. But it's, you know, we the passed... Co- the cotton is high, I believe. I think right. that is true. We passed the, the solstice, so we're, it's officially summer, uh, and that's very exciting. Also exciting, we have two great guests, as always. A first-timer, although not a first-time podcaster, because he's one of the hosts of Remaster here on Relay FM, and of course a game industry veteran, too. I'm going to say his name and try to say it in a way that he's given me permission to mispronounce it. It's Shahid Kamal Ahmad. Hi. How awesome. That was wonderful. Okay, good. 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 I tried. Uh, it's not quite right, but it's it's as close as my American mouth is probably going to get there. It's great to have you. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And our second guest, a return guest to Clockwise and the host of Less Than or Equal here on Relay FM, Aline Sims. Hi, Aline. Hi. I object to the living is easy in summertime opening. It's like 120 here. Living in the Southwest. Not, not easy. so easy. Yeah, not written by somebody in Phoenix. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so we do four technology topics in 30 minutes here on Clockwise, and I will kick things off with the first topic. Apple uh, recently announced last week at WWDC its own fancy machine learning based super awesome image search tool that's inside the Photos app, similar to what Google is doing with Google Photos, where it can look at your, uh, you know, it can look at your pictures and find all the rainbows and things like that. But I, I want to back up a little bit and talk about photo libraries in general. I've got a photo library with tens of thousands of pictures in it. And I want to ask all of you, what do you do with your old photos in your photo library? Do you ever look at them? Do you revisit your old photos? Or is this data that's being searched and indexed, but that you never actually revisit? Is it, In other words, will this new technology help you find your photos? Or is it all kind of pointless because you don't look back in time? Shahid? I don't think the old model of photos works anymore. And I think what we have is a very skeuomorphic approach to a very old problem. And that problem was one of distance and photos providing context and updates in people's lives. Most photos are just snaps, right? And most snaps are of people. And these served a purpose in the past when contact between people was not as frequent as it is these days. And we're in a very hyper-sharing world today. And we always have updates on the people that we care about. So it's almost as if everything that you snap, thousands and thousands of these things, are going into a digital mausoleum. And they'll only get unearthed through clever search, which works better on Google at the moment, I have to say, um, or, or not at all. You know, they'll, they'll just stay there forever. The only way they're useful to me is sometimes I'll put a photo that I've taken straight into day one on, on my iPhone and day one will prompt me with its latest feature that, hey, have a look at this. This is a year ago, or this was three years ago. And that will only go so far back. And it's useful for that. But apart from that, I'd say kind of old school now, not as necessary in the world of Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, etc. 
I don't really go back and look that much. Every once in a while, I do find like, oh, yeah, I have a picture of this thing or this person. I want to go back and find it. And it has been a nightmare up to the present because unless I can remember essentially when or for more recent photos that have all been taken with like an iPhone that does geotacking, where there was really no easy way to find all those things. So for the looking for a specific photo, I think that the search feature is a really solid addition. We've, we've hit almost an ephemeral state with this. Like Snapchat is like the ultimate of all form, right? Like you send a picture out and it goes away. Um, and so this idea of like rather than archiving every single picture you ever take, which as you guys rightly said, you know, you have a lot of snapshots of stuff that is really not that important for archiving long term. Um, so perhaps the the younger generation that's very used to things like Snapchat will have much smaller photo libraries than those of us who have, you know, migrated from analog technology. So I don't have kids. If I had kids, I would probably take a lot of pictures. Um, but I can see people, you know, I, I, I listen to as many of us do. I listen to the accidental tech podcast and hear, you know, Casey talking about like looking back at pictures of his son and, and how awesome Google photos has been for that. So I do think that there is a, is a use for it. I think that photo management is really going to change over time. And maybe, maybe just because we can't take bursts of 75 photos in 30 seconds, maybe we will not do that so much in the future. So I think that there's kind of a combination of this being kind of cool technology that'll help us, but also maybe it'll, maybe we're going to get to a point where we're not using gigabytes and gigabytes of, of our storage space to, to keep track of all these photos or hold on to all these photos. It's smart that these companies are doing this, which is the not only cataloging everything, but trying to find context to show you some things from your library. Because if you're going to have these big libraries, when are you ever going to use them? And it's like you see somebody and it's like, hey, I got pictures of that person. Or you say, hey, you went to the beach four years ago on this day. Uh, look at the, the, this collage I made. And you look at it and go, oh, yeah, that was a nice memory. And then you kind of move on. I don't know. We have a big mass of old photos and we're trying to get we can't look at them anymore so the computers are going to watch our photo libraries for us i guess now i hope they enjoy all those pictures i took then they become jealous and when they become sentient they they want they go to the beach that's what they do all the robots will be down at the beach uh all right uh, that's one topic down uh next topic is shahid what do you have for us 2016 is it the year of vr what i want to know is do you think this time round the emperor has any clothes on uh, I really, I want to believe, you know, we've seen a lot of attempts at VR in the past. I think what makes it compelling this time around is it does seem to have a certain amount of mainstream uh, adoption, at least, you know, in sort of waiting in the wings with PlayStation VR and with Oculus and with HTC uh, partnering with Steam. Like there's actually a delivery system in place for these games. People are making VR games. There is hardware available. It's pricey but not any pricier than a lot of cutting edge tech uh and from what at least the the little that i've heard because i haven't got a chance to try out most of them but from people i know who have everybody is seems pretty positive about this uh but i was also having a, a long conversation with a couple of local friends here about this last night um and talking about whether or not this will be you know sort of mainstream adoption i think we're probably a year or two away from it being you know something that that a lot of people are going out investing right now we're still in the early adopter phase um, but I do think that it seems to be uh, succeeding this time in a way that it hasn't before. And maybe maybe the technology is there this time. So 
I, I've even toyed with with getting a PlayStation VR myself and, and thought about that just because it seems like there are actually things I want to play. Really just that Star Trek game, which looks amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess we'll have to wait a, a year or so to see how things pan out. But I'm I'm positive about it. Yeah, I agree that it's it, it seems like early days, but it also has a different feel to it than in the past. And I'm thinking like Virtual Boy. Um, the fact that I am hearing so much about it and I'm not super plugged into to gaming um i think bodes well for its potential and the amount that people are talking about it um i do have a lot of concerns about vr especially like war simulators and first person shooters and that kind of thing um and also like motion sickness concerns because uh I guess that women are more prone to motion sickness than men are and men are more prominent in the gaming industry and kind of all those types of problems too. But um, it kind of feels like we're in the early days of this actually being a thing. And um, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Well, I mean, first off, the emperor is totally naked, but in virtual reality, you can't tell his clothes are there in, in mm. VR. But uh, <laughs> I think I think the VR is real, but I think it's the high-end PC gamers and the hardcore you know, console gamers who are going to get into this stuff. And I think it's going to take some time, a lot of time, more time than people expect for it to become more mainstream, just because the fact is you got to buy all this hardware. It's got to be very powerful. Uh, this is sort of solo adventures in VR. And if you are in a family setting, do you want? Do you need hardware to drive four different VR sets? It's it's going to take a long time. When I was a kid, I wanted to be able to lucid dream, and the first time I put on an Oculus headset and experienced one of their demos, it felt like that dream had become reality. It was profound. It was shocking, and it was nothing like any previous VR experience I'd ever had. I was in this world f- almost fully. I wouldn't say fully. I stretched out my arm and I couldn't see my arm. And that really freaked me out. It really freaked me out. And that was a powerful sense of presence that I had. Here's my concern. It's the dawn of a new medium. We have an opportunity to define the medium, almost a reboot or a reset, if you like. What would be really tragic is if we allowed it to be defined by violence and horror. I'd really like to see more creators come into the field and I'd like to see completely different experiences um, being enjoyed by by the public. Of course, there's going to be a focus on the hardcore audience to begin with, but there's no reason that audience and a wider audience couldn't have really unique content that makes them feel good instead of scared Uh. or... Or angry. Mm-hmm. That was great. But it's halftime. We have two more topics left to go here on Clockwise. Uh, after I give you our message from our halftime sponsor, this episode of Clockwise brought to you by IT Pro TV. If you have a career plan to set in motion, whether you're starting a career in IT or already working in the field, you can get certifications and credentials. These are important in advancing your career. IT Pro TV's mission is education. They create up-to-date, high-quality videos and provide access to the most important tools you need for technology certification. They got more than a thousand hours of video content 50 hours being added every week they're streamed live and also available on demand on all the hardware that you can imagine chromecast roku pcs ios and android devices amazon fire tv and the fourth generation apple tv it's the first it video provider with courses for sale through amazon video direct if you want to buy a few and try them out instead of getting a subscription you can do that there are plenty of different course topics including apple certified support professional amazon web services google groups for business and a whole lot more uh, some new courses there's a vmware course 
course that just came back, CCNA Security from Cisco. All courses are transcribed. You can watch them from start to finish or just jump to the part that you're looking for, learn something, and then move on with what you need to do. And it's all for one low monthly subscription price. So if you're a working IT professional, this is a great ongoing resource to keep your skills current. And of course, there's also group pricing with large institutions, including Harvard, MIT, Stanford, and most importantly, UC San Diego as clients. Yeah, I went to UC San Diego. Go to itpro.tv slash clockwise to boost your brain with the most popular IT certifications. You can get a seven-day free trial to check out everything, the courses, the live stream, and a whole lot more. Normally, a subscription is $57 a month or $570 for a year, but there's a special offer. If you use the code clockwise30, you'll get 30% off the lifetime of your account. Not a limited offer. It's the lifetime of your account with IT Pro TV. So that's less than $40 a month or $3.99 for an entire year. Go to itpro.tv slash clockwise and remember to use the code clockwise30 to try it free for seven days and get 30% off. Thanks, IT Pro TV, for sponsoring halftime of Clockwise. Dan, it's time for topic number three. What do you have? Well, I just invested in some more smart home equipment, in this case, a, a star set of the Philips Hue bulbs. And while I think they're really cool, my uh, few hours of experimentation with them led me to feel like the whole smart home ecosphere is kind of a mess. Uh, in particular, it's because while they try to be really great about making support for all these different systems like uh, IFTTT and you know uh, HomeKit and all these various different abstraction layers, that ends up being quite confusing because you can end up like with with automation and commands in a bunch of different apps. You find that some apps let you do some things and other apps let you do other things. And I feel like it's just kind of this huge proliferation of stuff and it's, it can be hard to wrap your head around. So I guess my question for you guys is, do you have experience with smart home stuff? Are you interested in smart home stuff? Have you run into this experience where you find that it can just be a little bit of a handful in terms of trying to deal with all these disparate standards and methods for interacting with your gear? Or do you think that's like just a positive that you can do all those things? So Aline, what do you think? Yeah, we have a, a Nest thermostat and a wide array of Hue bulbs um, that we've kind of accumulated over a couple of years. And, um, I, you know, I think this is something that I've even talked about on Clockwise in the past is like, uh, I'm kind of wary of investing any further in smart home technology because it is such a mess and it can be like, really, I don't know. I don't know if unpredictable is the word I'm looking for here, but you know, like we have an Amazon Echo and we've integrated, you know, the Hue bulbs so that we can control them with, with that. Um, but we'll say, okay, you know, turn on my bedroom lights. And it's like, yeah, we can't, I can't do that. Um, even though we've set up different, different areas in the house and there's, there's like this really weird way to phrase it. And I don't even remember what it is. So you have to be very specific about the way you talk to the echo to turn the lights on. The way you interact with your phone and how that's all set up and the new app is a mess. And, you know, I just, I, I don't think. I think in order for for the smart home to have wide wide adoption, one for me it has to be secure. That's something I always mention. And two, like it's got to be a pretty seamless, frictionless experience. It has to be easier to use this thing than to get up and flip on a switch or, you know, to get up and change the temperature or get up and unlock the door. And right now it's just too complicated. And, you know, I could use the steps anyway. I work from Mm. home. So, yeah, I 
have uh, I have a couple of smart lights outside, and I have uh, a smart switch, and I have a, a, a Nest thermostat, and I have an Amazon Echo, and they all do work together to a certain degree, which is pretty great. Of course, then Apple announces that they've got this new Home app in iOS 10, and of course that requires HomeKit, and I I checked, and it's basically like yeah, HomeKit. As far as HomeKit is concerned, I have nothing in my house that's smart because it's incompatible, and this is comes back to the point of uh yeah is it a complete mess i think it is because it's a like a format war it's a platform war going on and i am uh, really frustrated by the idea that i have to choose what thermostat i buy and what you know where does it end what windows i buy what door i buy because i'm making a platform decision for my entire house it's really annoying and apple's not helping here by making some of the insistences it's making about HomeKit stuff has to have like hardware that's very specifically it can't just be a software bridge you've got to have hardware that's specifically for home kit uh or it won't work and uh so i feel like i'm already on the outside with home kit and i'm not sure that there's enough there to make me replace all the stuff i've already got so yeah mess so i end up using you know the the tools that i've already got and it's not as integrated as i would like and that's just how it's gonna have to be for a while it's frustrating i'm from uh an old age a golden age, if you like, where I had to <laughs> physically walk over what? to a television set. No. Yes. You remember Crazy. that? No, you don't, do you? Vaguely. There you go. I used to walk over to the TV set to change channels. And I used to have to press this clunky button. And that's still a relatively easy thing to do. And sometimes I wish I could still do it when I'm f- fumbling with a remote control. And then one day we had remote controls. And then, of course, one day we had like 2,000 remote controls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the problem is... You cannot have something in the home that isn't a standard and expect it to work. If you have a home with Wi-Fi, you know, everything's going to talk to that because there's your standard and it's not owned by a platform. If you have power in your home, it has a standard. It's not owned by one energy company. If you have, you know, it's like some people, you have Cat5 or Cat6 uh, cabling in your sockets. Wonderful. That's another standard, not owned. We don't have that at the moment. What we have... As as you said, our platform wars, and that makes it very messy. I mean, I've got some so-called smart devices. They don't feel very smart because half the time they don't work properly. I've got um, three Wemos and three Wemo clones by Belkin. Or three of them are from Belkin. Three of them are from Chinese manufacturer who I can't name at the moment and probably has got direct access to every single computer in my house. Who knows? Um, you know, that that's the state of play. We just don't know how safe these things are, how secure these things are. Um, they can be programmed and they're quite cool. And I look forward to seeing how this will work out in the future. But until we have a platform, uh, it's like an all-in-one remote. Yeah, I think you guys have really addressed most of my concerns. It is interesting. I have found some solutions that let me address like different standards. I mean, so for example, you know, the Amazon Echo does a good job of sort of having its own HomeKit approach where it layers its own interface and can talk to a bunch of different things. Um, but you run into a lot of things where it's like, Oh, I can change the colors of my Hue lights to anything at all, but I really have to be using the Hue app for the most part. Um, if I try to use the Echo or IFTTT or something, it limits me to like, you know, colors I can write down like red, white, blue, um, automating things to make them do multiple actions. That's kind of hard as well. So it, it's not just that you know, I think a big part of it is that there, there is no standard or that there's disagreement about which standard to use. Um, and then you get to the difference of, well, there are hardware standards and there are software standards and that's kind of a mess on top of it. So right now it is, I think, I think VR might, might hit mainstream before smart home stuff <laughs> does at this rate. 
Uh, that's three topics. Uh, our last topic comes from Aline. So, um, in the Apple community, it is beta time. Beta! I know. <laughs> and this year we have more betas than ever. I think we are, I mean, it feels like we're at peak beta. Uh, that might not be true. We'll see what happens next year. But so do you install betas from Apple or other um, other companies right away? Do you wait a while? Do you wait until the stable release comes out? What is your approach to betas? Uh, so I write about things, so I have to use betas more than perhaps uh. I would like to. Um, so my approach is this, which is for early betas of iOS stuff, I only will do it on a test system, something that's not like my phone that I use every day, because that way lies madness. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to have some extra devices around that I can use for that, so I I can install iOS 10 and and see what's going on and learn some things about iOS 10 without actually running iOS 10 on my phone. And then as the summer goes along, like by the time I get to the public beta, I might actually consider installing it on my on my main phone, but not the early betas. Um, on my Mac, it's a similar sort of thing where like in the early days, I try to have another Mac around if I'm fortunate to have or a partition or something uh, to run it like separately. But at some point in the middle of the summer, there's that moment where as a, as a writer about this stuff i i think to myself the only way that i'm really going to understand how this works is by living with it and having a secondary system with it installed or having it on a partition that you have to reboot into or uh, anything like that it's not the same as having it be there with your stuff that you're using every day and that's that moment where i take the plunge and instantly regret it but it has to be done at some point. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know quite why most people, you know, anybody who's eligible for the public beta, it's like, boy, you really are bringing some pain on yourself in order to get those new features. And a lot of the new features don't really work quite right until all the services get turned on uh, when, the sh- when the final version ships. So that's my method. It's not great. There's always pain with betas. But I try to put off making the full-on beta plunge until uh, after a few different betas have gone by and the most horrific bugs hopefully have been worked out. Well, I come from an era when it was very hard to distribute software. It had to be done physically. And the meaning of beta meant external test. And it was when you went further than your own development team. And the number of uh, beta testers was very restricted. Now you have a situation in which it's possible to have hundreds and millions, sorry, hundreds of millions even of uh, beta testers, which is just insane. So I would say um, spare device or no dice. Um, I, I would not risk my main devices with betas anymore, despite being a developer. And the reason for that is simple. I need my devices to get work done. And the interconnections between the devices and the software that I use is so complex that not even a company with the resources of Apple is able to fix that problem. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that has shipped from Apple, uh, like Discovery D, for example, and you wonder you know, how long that had been in beta, and yet that still came through. Um, and, and that goes on and on. I remember in 2006 with, uh, with Apple when they had real problems on the iMac with Wi-Fi, and I just could not get, get it to work with any device. And that was shipped software. So now when I've got um, iPad, iPhone, uh, iMac, MacBook, Apple Watch, all using interconnected um, pieces of software, Perhaps beta software, I think that's a recipe for disaster unless every single device you have is a spare, which means you're probably a developer, right? Which takes <laughs> you back to that original point. So I think unless you're a developer with spare devices to test on, 
probably not a good idea unless you don't mind losing everything. Well, I'm obviously in Jason's boat where I end up writing about these things. So I, I try to at least use them out. I try to use iOS on a spare device. I think the biggest challenge with Apple's latest software releases is that so many of these things interoperate. Um, so you can get, you know, a device like I've got a spare iPhone, courtesy of Jason, running iOS 10. Uh, and if I want to use my Apple Watch with it, I have to unpair my Apple Watch from my day phone, you know, my usual phone and pair it with the test phone. <laughs> night phone. My night phone. Uh, if I want to use, you know, test the auto unlock feature of that watch, now I have to update to Sierra. If I want to test some of the automation functions of HomeKit, I have to update my Apple TV. Uh, and all of a sudden, now all of my devices are beta, which is, you know, as Shahid said, very scary at times. It is a little tricky because, you know, I don't have necessarily spares of all these things. I uh, My Mac is critical to getting my job done every day, but I have a MacBook and an iMac, so I can probably spare one of those. Um, using it on a phone that is not my main phone really means, you know, while I can play around with it, I don't get the same level of testing that I would by using it every single day as my main phone. Um, and then, you know, I don't really care that much about my watch as far as being critical. I can easily lose that. But having to then carry around a second phone just so I can use the watch is a little ridiculous. Um, so it is tricky to walk that line of like, I do want to be able to experience these things and play around with them. I will probably wait until either, you know, the third or fourth beta or the first public beta before I commit to any of my regular devices being on them, but I, I do end up using them sooner than probably most people. Yeah, same here. So it's interesting in that last year I was working for a prominent uh, software development company writing documentation, and I was very conservative about getting on the beta train. Like I waited, I think, until the fourth or fifth iOS beta before um, before I I installed it on my device so I could start, you know, writing documentation and that kind of thing. Um and I, I, I didn't even upgrade until to El Capitan until well after the stable release because of podcasting. Um, I am a professional podcaster. So, um, there is that. But this year I was so excited by Swift Playgrounds that like the second we got home, I installed iOS 10, um, I, uh, the iOS 10 beta on my iPad Pro and have been like living in Swift playgrounds for the past several days. I absolutely love it. Um, and I was like, well, while I'm here and I'm technically unemployed, I might as well just like upgrade my laptop to Sierra and see how that goes, um, which is why I'm recording on my husband's laptop right now, because I was a little bit worried about recording um, on, on my laptop. Um, but my typical strategy is to be really conservative. Like it's not on my carry. It's not on my iPhone. It probably won't be until, again, at least at least the public beta. It's like this dance that I always like the anxiety dance. Like, am I missing out to the point where I should should actually do this or am I going to be crying in the corner because I've lost everything? Um, so I don't know. I think it's a really interesting uh, internal battle for a lot of us like tech geeks um this time of year apple tech geeks is like um what wins out here great topics all we have time for a bonus topic and more importantly we have sponsor for a bonus topic the bonus topic this week brought to you by ministry of supply uh they make clothing but it's fancy advanced clothing it's not fancy necessary to look at although it looks really great but it's made of space age materials these are people from mit 
who have made a clothing company. They've got performance technology plus tailored design to make workwear for men that's actually comfortable and capable. These are dress shirts and slacks that wick sweat. They breathe. They stretch as you move uh, because the fact is we are humans and we sweat. They have the Apollo dress shirt. I've worn this. It's got NASA invented fibers that regulate your body temperature based on your surroundings. Incredibly comfortable to wear. It's machine washable. doesn't really wrinkle. It's amazing. So you should definitely check out all of the space age and good-looking clothes from Ministry of Supply. And you can do it online. Go to ministryofsupply.com slash clockwise. You'll get 15% off your first Ministry of Supply purchase by using the code clockwise. Or if you want to get out into the world and visit with other human beings, go to Boston, San Francisco, coming soon in Washington, D.C. You can visit one of the Ministry of Supply stores. That's right. They also exist in the real world. Mention clockwise when you're buying your stuff. You'll get 15% off in the store. I like that. Like, tell them Clockwise sent you. So thank you so much to Ministry of Supply for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Um, here's the bonus topic. It is summer, as I said at the top. The living may or may not be easy. We're disputing that point. Um, <laughs> you know, some people don't like sand. They find it coarse and rough and irritating and that it gets everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm, yes. But, uh, and you know, the ultraviolet that. light can do terrible things to your skin. But, you know, the beach is kind of a definition of summer. Uh, and uh, if you're looking at Apple's demos of its photo app, uh, you see beach pictures everywhere. I'm just curious, really quickly, what is your opinion about beaches? Shahid? I'm from Britain. What's the beach? <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, those Apple photos. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um I yeah, I'm old as well. So I guess beaches, they're a bit like Starbucks, you know, where the reality doesn't quite deliver on the promise. <laughs> uh I am not a beach person. Uh I don't care for the sand particularly or the the harsh sunlight. I'm I'm a lake person, Jason. You might call me a, a lock and velvet. Oh, you're a lake tourist. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm landlocked. I've been landlocked my entire life. It's it's kind of a novelty to go stick my feet in, but the sand really does get everywhere. I am a native Californian, and I do kind of love the beach. I live not far from the beach and don't go as often as I'd like, and this is the problem. I'm a northern Californian, and here I, I expect our beaches are not that different most of the time from British beaches, which is there's sand out there and water, but the water's very cold, and there's probably not any sun, and the wind is probably blowing. So uh, on a sunny day without fog and wind, I think the beach is great. Uh, I that and that said, I probably go see a beach once or twice a year. So I am wasting my uh, my beach access. So oh well, it's still summer. It's uh, that's something. And with that brings us to the end of this edition of Clockwise. Only time left to thank our guest Shahid Kamal Ahmad. Thank you so much for being on. I hope you come back sometime. I'd love to. My pleasure. And Aline Sims, thank you so much for coming back. And we hope to see you again soon. I always love talking to you guys. And Dan, we did it. We made it through another one. Woo! I, I, I'm glad every week when we make it out alive, Jason. Yeah, it's true. All right, well, thanks to everybody out there for listening. We'll be back, of course, next week with four more topics and two more guests. But until then, we remind you, as always, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.